0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today.
1: Paul said, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in the cross of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Thank you, ladies. That was absolutely beautiful. Take your Bible with me this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 4. This morning, as is usual on Sunday mornings, I am there on the couch going over the message that I'll be bringing to you. And Alyssa sits down beside me and she's picking out the music for the day and She said to me this morning, she said, Dad, what are you preaching on today? And I said, I'm going to preach on contentment. And she looked over at me, she said, "Mm, We all would be a lot happier in life if we just learned to be content. Every person who is unhappy today has a spirit of discontentment. And so we want to learn today how to be content. And I wonder today, how content are you in your life this morning? Philippians chapter 4, I'll begin reading with verse 11. Paul said, Not that I speak in respect to want, for I have learned. Contentment is something that we must learn. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state. Whatever condition you find yourself in today, whatever's going on in your life today, whatever trial that you are in today, whatever loss you may be experiencing today, whatever sickness you may be wrestling with today, whatever financial burden that you are carrying today, whatever broken relationship, that breaks your heart today. God says, In whatsoever state we are in, therewith we need to learn to be content. Verse 12 I know how to abase, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Isn't that life? Both how to abound. And also to suffer need. We all know the next verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's now take our Bible and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Begin reading with verse 6. Another very familiar portion of Scripture. But godliness with what, church? I can't hear you, what? What? But godliness with contentment, you cannot be godly without contentment. You cannot be content without godliness. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be what? Content. Content. Heavenly Father, would you bless the preaching of your word today as we speak to an issue that affects every one of us. We all wrestle with this spirit of discontentment, especially in the age in which we find ourselves today. So Lord, just help this preacher to communicate your truth in a very effective way that will change hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to take a little bit different approach to this subject. It's a subject that I've preached on many times over the years. But I want to go back in the history of America just a little bit. How many of you remember Tom Brokaw? Okay. Wow, that's surprising. Only about half of you. (laughs) I guess that'll date us. But Tom Brokaw was an evening anchor for the NBC News. He also published a book back in 1998 called The Greatest Generation. That phrase, the greatest generation, after the writing of that book, has stuck in the hearts and in the minds and in the vocabulary of us as Americans. We have all heard of the great generation. I want to quote just some excerpts from this book. They're kind of random and they're not all tied together. And I just want to share with you some of the things that Mr. Brokaw said about the great generation. We have a couple men here today that are still a part of that great generation. Brother Raby. It's part of that great generation. Pastor Peterson, part of that great generation. If you're in your 90s today, you are that generation that we take our hats off to. And we acknowledge you as a great generation, the generation that made America what it is. We are in debt to you. But born between 1910 and 1924, those of the greatest generation grew up during the Great Depression, and many of them fought in World War II. They are also known as the G.I. Joe generation. For any of you who have been in the Philippines with me, often as we will be walking in the marketplace, we'll have young people come up to us and say, Hey, Joe! Referring to us as G.I. Joes. This generation grew up during a time when the world was experiencing great shifts in power. Europe was in an upheaval. The United States had yet to flex its military muscle. That all changed during World War II and a new era of American power and wealth ensued. This generation lived through the Great Depression and World War II and then into the most prosperous Errors in the history of our nation. The changes this generation witnessed will forever be marked as some of the most pivotal moments in American history. Perhaps because of having lived through the Great Depression, this generation knows a thing or two about hard work. On top of that, they lived through the years of World War II and appreciate peace, security, and freedom. Combined, these three factors resulted in a very strong work ethic among the members of that great generation. The combination of living during the Great Depression and experiencing wartime rationings means many in this generation are well-versed in frugal living. They learned to make do. They also learned... Creativity in the face of scarcity. Frugality for them isn't a badge of honor, nor is it anything to be ashamed of. It was simply a way of dealing with life in those times. Many gave themselves during World War II to the extent that they lost life and limb. The war was truly all-encompassing for this generation at that time. The Battle of the Bulge, for example, is considered by military experts to be the greatest military battle in the history of our nation. While many fought in the war back home, people may do with less in order to contribute to the war effort. That meant rationing and doing without some of the very basic staples of daily living. United as a country. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to be united as a country again? United as a country in the face of evil, the great generation came together to sacrifice what they could to make the world a better place. This generation, above all generations, had a deep and abiding love for America. And they were extremely patriotic. We are in a great debt to that great generation. Which in the minds of most young people today, they don't even know that that generation even existed. That generation gave birth to another generation called the baby boomers. I'm a boomer. The term baby boomer is used to identify a mass increase in births following World War II. Boomers are those people born between 1946 and 1964. The average age of a baby boomer is 50 to 69 years. How many of you are baby boomers? Can I see your hand? Hey, okay, well... See, last week I made the millennial stand, but the baby boomers, that may be hard for you to get up. So, We'll just let you sit. I was reading this uh, article and it said the characteristics of the baby boomers, and I'll uh, just briefly mention some of them. Most boomers were raised in very structured and well-disciplined households where mother and father were both present. Most baby boomers are influenced by rational decision-making. Baby boomers' characteristic include independence, responsibility, and maturity. Baby boomers make smart decisions based on available resources. Baby boomers are confident, responsible, abide by social rules and have a healthy respect for authority. Baby boomers like competition. One of their biggest motivators is racing to the top of the corporate ladder. Baby boomers are the most for the most part are disciplined and like structure. Many of them grew up in households where they were highly disciplined and structured and this shaped who they are to this day. Baby boomers appreciate being listened to and are willing to share their opinions and their interest. Baby boomers, the baby boomer does not part easily with their money, Guess that means we're stingy. And they have a tendency to be materialistic. And then one article said this, the worst thing about baby boomers is that they birthed the millennial generation. And that picks up where we left off last week. <laughs> last week I spoke about the millennial generation, the me, me, me generation. I showed you a cover of Time Magazine, an article written by Joel Stein, who usually writes for the Los Angeles Times, but Time asked him to do an article. And this was a picture of a young lady there holding a cell phone, taking a selfie of herself. It says Time magazine, the me, me, me generation millennials are lazy, entitled, narcissist. who still live with parents. Here was another. This is from The New Yorker. I've never read it. I just saw the cover of it. This was uh, written by Tom Wolfe. It says, The Me, Me, Me Decade. Everyone's wearing a t-shirt with a me on it. I quote from this article by Joel Stein. I read from it. Last week, I'll do it again just for way of review. You know I like my reviews. If you'd all come to church faithfully, I wouldn't have to review. So if you don't like reviews, start coming to church. Joel Stein, I'm about to do what old people have done throughout history, call those younger than me, lazy, entitled, selfish, and shallow. But I have the studies. I have the statistics. Unlike my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents, I have proof. This generation, the millennial generation, we're talking about 18-year-olds to about 37-year-olds. you raise your hand? I won't make you stand today. Raise your hand. Come on. Wave at me. Okay. You narcissistic people. Okay. <laughs> Now I actually had when I read this, I read this to a couple of millennials and they agreed with Mr. Stein. I'm not I'm not knocking our millennials here. We have great millennials. This generation are immoral, greedy, prideful, indulgent, slothful, ungrateful, self promoting, materialistic, irreverent, rebellious, violent, narcissistic, socialistic, handout generation ever to exist in America. Wow. We went from the great generation, which we have here today, to the baby boomer generation, which we have here today, and now to the millennial generation. You hear a lot today about being narcissistic or narcissism. I remember the first time I heard that word I was like, what? I never heard that word before. Now I hear it all the time. The encyclopedia says this, Narcissism is the pursuit of self-gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of oneself. The term originated in ancient Greek mythology where a young man by the name of Narcissus fell in love with himself as he looked at an image of his reflection in a pool of water. Narcissus lay gazing enraptured into the pool hour after hour looking at himself until finally he turned into a flower that bears his name to this day. The concept of excessive selfishness has been recognized throughout history as Narcissism. So that's where that phrase came from. So I did what all great Bible scholars do. I went to Google. (laughs) And I Googled up the word Narcissism just to see what would pop up. Now can I tell you something? These are not believers writing these articles. This is the world's estimation of this current generation. BBC, future millennials are narcissistic. Next, social media has created a generation of narcissists. Next article, millennials are the most narcissistic generation ever to exist. The narcissism epidemic. Me, 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 the rise of narcissism in the age of the selfie. Me, me, me. We're living through narcissism epidemic. From sex to friendship, millennials are ruled by narcissism. Moral narcissism and the least great generation. The narcissism epidemic, living in the age of entitlement. How millennials have become the selfie narcissistic generation. And it goes on and on. Now this isn't an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing preacher leveling that kind of accusation upon this current generation. That is the world! I mean, when the world starts calling it right, it's pretty obvious. Listen to Paul's words to Timothy. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. We are in the most perilous times that I I have ever seen. I want to tell you something. this, This is free. You don't have to tithe any extra for this one. Okay? You better get out and vote. November 6th, you better get out and vote. These are perilous times. And it says this, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. What is that? Narcissism. What is that? That's the me, me, me generation. In the last days, perilous times shall come. See if this does not sound like the day and age in which we live. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. The next one is covetous. That so we're going to talk about today covetousness versus contentment. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection that's sodomy. Truce breakers, they don't keep their word. False accusers, we've just seen that played out. Incontinent, without self control, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And This statement is made from such turn away. Don't have any part to do with that kind of generation. Peter said, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself, From this untoward, this crooked, this perverted, this twisted generation. Save yourselves. Are we influenced? This was last week's message. Are we influenced by this generation? Yes or no? Yes, we've all been influenced by the culture in which we live. And I'm here to tell you today, the only way that we're going to break loose and have nothing to do and turn away from this present generation is when we learn to be content. When we break away from the me, 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 the selfish, the narcissistic mindset, God's Word has so much to say about learning to be content. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Now listen to this. Having food and what? That's it. How many of you have food? Can I see your hand? I'm glad you all got your clothes on. That's a good thing. (laughs) Having food, we have too much. Having raiment, we have too much. can't tell you how many suits and pants I have hanging in my closet and also in my attic, hoping that one day... Can't even finish my statement in this church. (laughs) Let your conversation, the way you live out your life, be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. I'm going to tell you something. 90% of the people in the world would die to have what we have. discontentment is something that all of us struggle with from time to time. Some of us definitely struggle with it more than others. It's seen on your face and the fact that you just can't embrace happiness. But Satan uses this temptation to be discontent to lure us all into sin and away from the will of God. How is he using it on you? We become discontent with our jobs. No, it used to be a time when, I mean, when a man took a job, he was in that job 30, 40 years. Move from job to job. We become discontent with our appearance. Billions of dollars are spent simply because men and women are discontent with the way God made them. We become discontent with our possessions. I'll never forget when I bought my truck from Joel. Hey, Joel. Can I tell you something about salesmen? They love it when you're discontent. They love to see a discontented person walk into the sales room. I remember when Joel sold me my first truck. Brand new, Ford F-150. I'm like, wow, have trucks ever changed? This truck was beautiful. I couldn't believe all the gadgets and gadgets and the this and that and the backup cameras that this had. That was back in 2013. Now you compare my truck in 2013 with a 2019. This whole world system is built upon trying to get you to be discontent. My truck is still as good as the day I bought it, but when Joel drove in with his brand new 2019 Lariat, And say, hey, Dad, come and look at this one. (laughs) I simply turned at him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) We become discontent with the positions that we have, we become discontent with our social standing, we become discontent with our marriages. If I only had, only was, only could be married to someone else. We become discontent with our church. Yes, and you become discontent with your pastor. I'm just telling you, Satan uses it so effectively. Maybe it is the sin that's used the most effectively to get us out of the will of God. Even people that you love, if you're unhappy and you are discontent, even people you love will come and they'll give you some suggestions on how you can get out of that bad situation so you can be happy. They'll give you wrong counsel. Now they may do it out of love and concern, but it's wrong counsel. I think of just one example in the Bible is Abraham and Sarah. God said He would give them a child and would give them a son. A great nation would come from that son. But now Sarah's 90 and Abraham's 100 and 100-year-old men do not father children. 90-year-old women do not get pregnant. You know why God waited so long? God waited so long to show Himself strong. Say, I can do what you cannot do. Just wait on Me. If you're not content, you will run ahead of the Lord and make foolish decisions. Foolish decisions. What a foolish decision it was for Sarah to encourage Abraham to have a child by Hagar. Later, she regretted it deeply and chased Hagar from the home. And I'll tell you something, we regret it greatly today. In a discontented state, we become open to deception and temptation, and we will find it very hard to resist the devil. I'll never, never forget riding with my dad in the country. Often on Sunday afternoons, we would take Sunday afternoon drives. Did anyone ever do that? After church, you have dinner, you take a drive. I don't know, I guess that was just that generation. They take a drive out, and I remember going past a farm where the cows were all stuck their neck through the fence and were eating the grass on the other side. And I remember my dad saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. And that just like a devil to always try to convince us, the grass is greener over there. And then we get over there and we say, how foolish I was. I think you would agree with me that contentment is probably one of the most difficult virtues to learn in the Christian life. I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. Bad health, be content. Financial pressure, be content. Broken relationships, be content. A bad marriage, be content. Sitting under Pastor White, be content. (laughs) Contentment is something we have to learn. From childhood to adulthood. Aren't we always teaching our children to be content? Disciplining them when they're not and throwing a fit. No wonder Paul said, I have to die daily. You know what? I have to die daily too, don't you? And if I do not die daily to S-E-L-F, that spirit of discontentment is going to rise in my heart. One of the most painful ways that I have learned contentment, I don't have this all down yet, But it has been through my own personal failures of not being content. And I'm sure you all would agree with me as you look back over your life, you can see times when you were discontent with the situation that you found yourself in. And so, because you wanted so much to be happy and get out of that condition, you tried to manipulate, you tried to come up with a plan of how you could escape that spirit of discontentment and unhappiness that had come upon you and you you made a decision out of the will of God and even to today some of us are reaping the consequences for a decision we made years ago because we were discontent with our present circumstance. I cannot warn you enough When you are discontent, you're discontent to be at home? And you make a decision, I no longer want to be under the authority of my parents. I'm discontent with that. One day you will regret that decision. Any decision made out of a spirit of discontentment is a wrong, sinful decision. That's why they always tell pastors, don't ever resign on Monday. We'll figure that one out. No, what we reap, we sow. Excuse me, what we sow, we reap. Many Christians, I believe that this is true, will live their entire life never learning to be content with such things as they have. They will make decision after decision after decision after decision out of the will of God, reaping the consequences of it and never realizing the wrong decisions were made because they were discontent. Are you all still with me? We're going to flip the air on pretty soon. You know what the opposite of contentment is? Covetousness. You're not content, so you become covetous. Remember that? the young man that came to Lord Jesus? He said, Lord Jesus, speak with my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Evidently, dad had died, and now there was a division that needed to be made with the inheritance. And Jesus said, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Beware of covetousness. Aaron was in the Ten Commandments today in Sunday school. A great Sunday school lesson. The last commandment said, Thou shalt not covet. Number 10. Thou shalt not covet, make sure I say it right here. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. How many have ever seen someone, a nice house, say, Boy, I wish I lived in a house like that? Come on, be honest. Wow, that's most of you. I will not covet my neighbor's house. I won't ask you to raise your hand on this one. (laughs) Or my neighbor's wife or husband. They say, I will not covet his house, I will not covet his wife, I will not covet his manservants, or his maidservants, or his ox or his ass. But then he says this, or anything that is my neighbor's. They say, he says, don't covet anything that belongs to someone else. Povet just means that we desire it, we crave it, we want it, we long after it, we long for it, we thirst for it, we yearn for it, we lust after it. You've heard me say this how many times to you, the most difficult thing in life is getting your focus off of the temporal and onto the eternal. We live in a temporal world, we are all temporal, and Satan just wants to... Put all those temporal things right in front of us instead of the things which are above. Look not upon the things which are seen. You look upon the things which are seen and you will covet those things. Love not the world, neither the things. Isn't it just like the devil to always throw things in our face? Don't covet anything. When you covet, it'll skew every decision that you make in life. You'll start making decisions based upon the things that you do not have or the things other people do have or the things that you think will make you happy. Remember Solomon? Whatsoever my heart desired, I kept not myself... Things. But vanity, vanity, it was all vanity. It all left me empty and it left me broken. Covetousness is nothing more than a warped perspective on the value of material things that are all going to burn as wood, hay, and stubble. It's the bottom line. Carnal people covet. Spiritual people have learned to be content. My soul, let me ask you a question. We'll end here today. I don't want to end here. But we will end here today because I know you're all going to be back Wednesday night. what so we're going to do Wednesday night. We're going to step away from the series on the family, and I'm going to come back to finish the second half of this message. Actually, I would do it next Sunday, but our Faith Promise Conference starts. I don't want to leave this out there hanging. I'm telling you, this, what I'm preaching today, is so important to your success as a Christian. tonight we have the Lord's table. Last week we had a wonderful evening service. If you weren't here last Sunday night we had testimonies, we had baptisms, we had a young man joining the church and our time just got away from us and so we're going to have the Lord's table tonight. And as we come to the Lord's table tonight I think we all need to take a pause. And we need to seriously examine ourselves. And we need to ask ourselves the question, are we content with such things as we have? Or are we covetous? Have we been influenced by the me generation?